12 through 16, then verses 22 through 26, and this is what it says. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they had killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will shew unto you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Now verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat this my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it in the new in, drink it new in the kingdom of God. And they sung in him and went out into the Mount of Olives. Let us pray. Jesus, you are so good. We're thankful for your price you paid. Your blood that was so costly. God, we thank you that it was your plan for Jesus to come and redeem the world and you paid the price as well. Holy Spirit, we thank you for allowing Jesus to fulfill his purpose on earth to redeem us. We did not deserve it. We're thankful, God. Let these people in this house know even though we didn't deserve it, you still love us and you want to know us and you want to have communion with us, your children. Bless pastor, anoint this word in Jesus' name. Amen. I will have to admit to you this morning that it's uh, a little bit hard to preach up here. Uh, the message I'm going to be preaching just turns my spirit upside down and inside out. It's like a bucket of honey every time that I think about what my Lord done for me. It's impossible for a believer to sing about the sacred blood of Christ and it not touch him in some way. We are saved here this morning because of Jesus Christ. Amen. The whole message this morning is going to be centered around the Passover. Well, I'm not going to go in depth, real deep, because of time. I'm just going to hit the main points. Our text reveals how that the disciples went and made ready the Passover. There's a lot to the Passover. You need to go back and read it, study it. There's more than what we can do with even in a probably a month of series of preaching in it. But we are going to give the general teaching here today about the Passover of Jesus Christ and the Lamb. You know, in Christ's time, the law of Moses was sacred to the life of the Israelites. They believed in the law of Moses firmly. The institution of the Passover is especially precious to them because it commemorated so much of what God had done for the nation and for their deliverance as a people. 
And as you all know, the Passover originated when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage. They were in bondage for over 400 years in Egypt, being slaves. And it was because of the Passover that they were delivered from Egypt and all of the slavery and all of the hard work and the bondage and the cruelty. What plagues and miracles could not do, the blood of the Passover lamb did. And when I think about the, what miracles and plagues and judgments can't do in my life, the blood of Jesus Christ can. Can you say amen? Would you, would you, Would you just worship him with me this morning? Oh, Father. Thank you for the blood here today. We praise you, Lord, for sending your son. Oh, hallelujah. And one night, the death angel passed over Egypt, slaying the firstborn of every family, not only the Egyptians, but also the Israelites. But those that had the blood of the Passover lamb over their doorpost was spared from God's judgment. Those that would dare apply the blood. And I want you to remember this phrase because I'm gonna be speaking it throughout the sermon and especially at the end. Deliverance is always tied to judgment. Deliverance is always tied to judgment. One more time, say it with me. Deliverance is always tied to judgment. How many loves to be delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I want to tell you, even though you love deliverance, there is judgment tied to that deliverance. It's not free. There's always a form of judgment in every deliverance that ever takes place. When you look throughout the scripture and you see deliverance somewhere, there's a judgment for the act of that deliverance. Deliverance can't happen till judgment happens. Deliverance and judgment are inseparable. The deliverance of Israel was the judgment of Egypt. And though Israel was delivered on that night of Passover, yet it was the Egyptians that were judged. So the judgment was what brought the work of deliverance in the lives of the Israelites. And can I tell you before I get any farther, it was a work of judgment that has also freed you here today in Jesus Christ. On the 10th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, I used to call it Nisan, and everybody says that you pronounce it wrong when you pronounce it, it's called Nisan. And matter of fact, it is the 10th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, and Nisan means the month of the flower, the month of bloom, the month of the flower, and which it also corresponds with our late March and early April. The Pharisees would, or the Pharisees, not the Pharisees, but the priest would select a male lamb of the first year that was spotless and without blemish. And they would bring it to the courtyard of the temple and for the next four days, they would inspect that sacrificial lamb thoroughly. Constantly, the descendants of Aaron, which was the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe, would be looking carefully over this selected lamb. 
For four solid days, they would look in its ears, its mouth, and examine its eyes and look around its hooves. They would examine its wool. They would feel the contours at the folds of the skin, searching for any kind of blemish whatsoever that would make this lamb unworthy of sacrifice. And then on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, at approximately at 9 o'clock in the morning, the priest would untie this lamb and he would take it to the altar of what we call the altar of burnt sacrifice. Here the lamb would be tied to the horns of that altar according to the commandment of God himself. The altar was made of a kale wood. It was overlaid with brass. And brass, as you all know, is the middle of judgment throughout the scripture. Anywhere you see the mention of brass in scripture, it means that there is an act of judgment taking place. The lamb would lay there until three o'clock in the afternoon at the time known as the time between two evenings. The Jews had two evening sacrifices, the minor evening sacrifice or oblation, which was offered between 12 noon and three o'clock. And then there was a major oblation or sacrifice, which was offered between three o'clock and six o'clock. But exactly at three o'clock in the afternoon, the priest would walk up that incline to the top of that brazen altar and he would kneel with a sharp knife. It would be there that he would slit the throat of that lamb, killing it almost instantly. And then there would come a cry with a loud voice from that priest saying, it is finished. The lamb was sacrificed, its blood was drained, and the blood was taken and, up, taken and put up on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the holies of holies for the sins of the people. Now, I want you to look at this. Here is this priest exactly at three o'clock walking up to that burnt offering, that burnt, uh, uh, where the burnt offerings were taking place at the altar. He would lift the head of that lamb, slit it, drain its blood, cry out, it is finished, and he would take that blood, go in throughout the veil, behind the veil into the holies of holies. He would walk up to the Ark of the Covenant and he would begin to pour that blood upon that mercy seat. If for some reason that sacrifice was not accepted and they didn't catch it, the priest would die, number one, if he was unworthy as well. And if that sacrifice was not well, he would die and they would have bells tied on the bottom of their skirts and then bells would be singing and they would be ringing as he would go through his, his uh, duties as that priest. But behind that veil, he would make the preparation and that blood would push the sins of the people forward for one year because the Passover lamb had got judgment upon it for the sake of one year and the people would be free. Can you say amen? The Passover lamb provided mercy and grace for the sins of the people. The judgment upon that lamb provided freedom and provided forgiveness for one solid years upon the Israelites. Also on the Passover evening in Jewish homes, the Jewish father would take three loaves of unleavened bread and he would place them in what was known as a utility bag. And notice that it was unleavened bread. That's very important because leaven is a type of sin, but this was known as unleavened bread, representing there was no sin there. From this bag was drawn out a piece of bread 
that was cut from what they called the center loaf known as the second slice. And it was wrapped in a linen napkin and then it was hidden in the house of the Jewish homes by the father. The children then sought for this piece. And with everything that was in them, they went looking and searching throughout this house and ever who found it, when they found it, they would be rewarded a gift. So here's the father. He would take out of the center loaf a cut piece out of the center of that piece of bread that was unleavened, wrap it in a linen napkin, go hide it, and the children would go and search for it, and every which child found it would be rewarded. Now let's put all of this together and see exactly what this represents. Christ, the Lamb of God, entered into Jerusalem in the city of death before the Passover, and he was examined during the same time that the priest was examining that select lamb. The exact same month, the exact same time in the morning, everything that that lamb went through in the book of Exodus is what Christ, our Passover lamb, went through in Jerusalem. Doctors, lawyers, Pharisees, member of the Sanhedrin court, and even the Roman officer in charge examined Jesus Christ thoroughly. Pilate, the governor, was the last examiner to examine him and he declared in John 19 and six, when the chief priest, therefore an officer saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate saith unto them, why take him this man and crucify him? Listen to what he said. For I find no fault in him. And then we know without a shadow of a doubt that Pilate's own wife had a dream. And she come to Pilate, her husband, the governor, and said, whatever you do, do not have anything to do with this just man. She called him just because she seen that he was holy and they were crucifying an innocent man. Peter proclaimed of Christ's sinlessness in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, for even here too were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his footsteps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus fit the description and met the qualifications even under close examination to become what we know as the Passover lamb. He was truly a lamb without blemish and without sin. The writer of Hebrews proclaimed this about Christ in Hebrews 7:26. For such a high priest became us who is holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Again, the writer of Hebrews proclaimed in Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I would show he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Peter described him as a lamb without spot and without blemish in 1 Peter 1 and 9. And while the Jews at nine o'clock on the day of Passover were tying their spotless lamb to an altar, a man with a mallet was fastening Jesus at that same identical time, the spotless lamb of God to an old rugged cross. Can you imagine that? At three o'clock on that day, Two 
lambs actually died. As the priest would, would tie their spotless lamb to that altar, a brass and cut its throat, drain its blood, and then take it and put it up on the mercy seat and cry out, it is finished. Even so, exactly at the time that same time at three o'clock in the afternoon on Golgotha's dark brow, the spotless lamb of God, the son of God would be crucified and spill his blood for the sins of the world. At the exact same time, the priest would cry out, that priest being Christ Jesus himself, our high priest, it is finished. And we would hear the cry of this cry from this priest, the cross, on the cross, Jesus Christ, and he moaned and he said, it's finished. Listen to what it says in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour being three o'clock in the afternoon because the Jewish day didn't start till six, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus then cried with a loud voice, it is finished. And then he yielded up the ghost and died. He died at the precise moment that the Passover lamb was killed in the book of Exodus. And it would be here on the cross that redemption and salvation and righteousness would be all offered because of the act of judgment that came upon Jesus Christ for you and I. Our deliverance would be the result of Christ's judgment. Can I have an amen? Christ was judged on the cross. He made atonement for our sin and he appeased the very wrath of God. That's why that Isaiah said it in Isaiah 53, which we've quoted in the last two or three weeks for some reason. Surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we did see him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and through his stripes we are healed. As the priest would apply the blood of the lamb to the mercy seat on the ark of the covenant in the holies of holies, guess what happened? Jesus Christ took that blood that he shed upon Calvary and he went and he presented it before the Father in the holies of holies and now he has become our advocate. He has become our high priest. He has become the perpetuation of our sin. Right now, we have Jesus Christ sitting in the heavenlies with the blood of Jesus Christ applied upon the mercy seat so that you and I can be free. Give him praise. What I love about this story is that when Jesus died and cried out, it is finished, the darkness came upon the land and an earthquake took place. The veil of the temple would be rent in two and all of a sudden now, there's that, that veil that separated the people from the holies of holies. It was written too that where now whosoever will can go in behind the veil to the mercy seat themselves and find help in their time of need. I like what Matthew 27 verse 51 and 52 says. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks did rent and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Jesus' blood not only provided forgiveness for us, 
but it gave us open access to the throne of God. And we can go right in now to the mercy seat for ourselves without having a priest or someone do it for us. And we can obtain salvation and forgiveness and healing and strength or whatever we need because of what Christ has done. We who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we were alienated from the presence of God, Jesus Christ through the cross has brought you back into favor with God. And now you and I can come boldly unto the throne of grace and you and I can let our petitions be known and we can obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. Can I have an amen? While the Jewish fathers throughout Israel hid the middle loaf of bread in a linen napkin and the first would find it would be rewarded, yet that piece had to be cut out of the middle loaf. The three loaves represents the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All of these are without sin, representing the unleavened bread, three loaves. Yet the middle loaf represented Christ, the bread of life. And it would be the middle loaf that would have to be cut, representing Christ, who had to be pierced for our sins. The middle piece of bread would be taken out of that middle loaf. It would be wrapped in that linen cloth and would be hidden by the Father in that house. Even so, you know what happened on the day of the crucifixion? The bread of life, God's Son, the Lamb of God would be wrapped in linen, which represents righteousness, and then he would be taken by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. He would be buried in a sepulcher with a hewn rock placed upon it in front of it with a Roman signet upon it saying, no trespassing. And it would be tucked away and hid from the people. He would be hidden from humanity in a tomb. But as the Jewish children that night would search for the unleavened bread that was wrapped in linen and anticipated of a reward when they found it, even so, every single one of us that finds that middle loaf that was pierced and wrapped in linen will be rewarded with the gift as well because he's not in that tomb no more. He has risen from the dead on the third day. And I want you to know that ever who finds Christ finds life, life forevermore, and the reward he gives is eternal life. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The golden text of the Bible speaks of the gift. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave, there's the gift. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 and 15. Thanks be unto God for the unspeakable gift. Hallelujah. And then Romans 8 and 32. He who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. If he also delivered him up for us all, will he not through him also freely give us all things? Now not only are you rewarded with eternal life, but I want you to know you and I can now come to the Father casting all of our care upon him because he cares for us and every petition that we have need of, he grants it according to his grace because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The condemned one, Christ, has purchased our freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ. Can you give him praise? Give him praise. That's why the first Corinthians 5 and 7, Paul called Christ our Passover lamb. Second Corinthians 5 and 21, for what? For he hath made him to be sin for us who do no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, those of us 
that were unrighteous due to our sin nature, now as an act of judgment, we can be delivered and be made righteous through the cross of Christ. Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace now with God. We're not at enmity, we're not at war, we're not alienated, but we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of what the Passover lamb did. Listen to the invitation at the marriage supper of the lamb and the description that is given of the church who has made herself ready by finding that middle loaf, that slice. Revelations 19, verse six through nine. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thundering saying a hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and her wife and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. As I begin to think about this morning and the significance of everything that took place, isn't it amazing that what took place in Exodus thousands of years ago would be identical to what would be taking place 2,000 years ago at the old cross. Can you imagine God's foreknowledge and how that God tied all of that together, even to the point of wrapping the, 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 the lamb in linen and placing him even in the tomb? And yet that father wrapping in that cut piece of Christ in linen, representing Christ all the way back in the book of Exodus. That God had a plan for you and I before the foundations were ever created. God had a plan that the Lamb of God would be slain before the foundations of the world. Because he knew the sin that man would do when he created him. The night before Passover, the Father would do something else. He would take some leavened bread, which represents sin. It had leaven in it. And he would also hide a piece of it in the house. He and his children would light candles and they would go throughout the house and search for it. And that lit candle would represent the word of God because the word of God is white. What does the Bible say about the word of God? It's a lamp under my feet and it's a light under my path. And they would take the word of God and they would go and search and a candle and search and the father would lead them through the house and them children would desperately try to find this living piece of bread. Upon finding it, you know what they were to do? They were to literally go out and throw it out of the house, representing purging the house, cleansing the house, making the house ready. It was a symbol of purging and sanctifying and cleansing and consecration. It was a symbol of ridding ourselves of sin. That's why that when we take, according to Paul's teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we take communion, that we're to examine ourselves. That we are to look into this house, this temple. We're to take the word of God and compare our lives to it and say, God, is there any leaven in this house that would make me unworthy? That would cause me to not be able to receive the forgiveness of sin through the Passover land? Is there imperfections? Is there something in my life? But notice something. This is the most powerful teaching that you'll ever get in your life right here. And I'm just going to speak it and move on and be done. But do you understand that the leavened bread that was placed in the house 
could not be thoroughly removed and the house could not be truly consecrated if the center loaf had, that was cut had not already been in the house? Do you understand your works and the best that you can do is not enough? It still takes the redemption of the blood of the lamb being in the house for you to be able to be free. You cannot cleanse yourself. You cannot get better. You cannot make yourself approved. You can't make yourself qualified. The only person that is qualified is those that's been to Calvary and said, Father, forgive me. I accept your sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I receive him as Lord and upon confession of him as Lord and the blood of the Lamb comes upon my life. It makes me qualified for the grace of God. So I want you to stand with me this morning. If you do not have a communion cup with you, the ushers will be glad to hand you one if you're not afraid of the virus. Or you can go back and get your own off of the table. We've tried to have them when we walked in here this morning. I want my wife to come up and join me. I'd like my whole family, my sons, my daughter-in-laws, my grandchildren to come. I should have told them to be ready for that. this building so when Jesus went and when he cried it is finished there would never have to be another lamb offered Israel faced that year after year after year because the lamb of bullets and sheeps and goats and all of that could not suffice and what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns in the flesh that you and I might be made the righteousness of God. And Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. By one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world, but by one man's righteousness, we've all been made righteous. Can I have an amen? I stand here today as a sinner has been saved by grace. I stand here as a flawed man, a weak man, but I stand here today a humble man by the grace of God that I've been counted worthy to be called the children of a child of God through the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ's crucifixion. You and I here today that are believers, this is the most sacred time of our lives right here. It's where we take this bread in a moment. And I'll give you instructions. But I want everybody to close their eyes just for a moment. 
If you're not a Christian here today, today's your day to become a Christian. We'll pray with you and we'll ask you to pray the sinner's prayer with us and upon accepting Jesus Christ, you'll be able to take communion with us here today. But Paul warns us, before you take of the communion, examine yourself. And if there's anything in your life that you need to repent of, repent of it right now. First John 1 and 9, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What we got to say is, Lord, before I take this communion, I want my heart right. I want a fresh beginning. I want a new start. I want a new beginning. I want to know that the Passover lamb has blood has been applied to the doorpost of my heart. Amen. Is there anybody here that would like to give their life to Christ today? The people's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed. And if you'd like to come up here, I'll pray with you real fast. And we'll pray you through to the forgiveness of the Father through Jesus Christ. And you can take communion with us. I just feel like there's someone wanting to come. Is there anybody wanting to come? Thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Is there any others here this morning? We're going to pray with these. You just keep your head bowed and be praying. <laughs> We've got three that have responded. Is there any more? Say, I want to become a believer in Christ. I need the blood of the Lamb over my doorpost of my heart. Is there any others?
Now can you give praise for those that were saved here this morning? If you'll take that cup and pull it back, you'll see a little piece of bread there. That's representing the unleavened bread, the spotless life of Jesus Christ, his body, the flesh. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, the very night, he took bread with his disciples and he broke it. So break the bread. That represented him being pierced. The brokenness represents all of the spearing and the thronging and the thorns that was placed upon the brow and the spear in the side and the whippings and discouragings of the cat of nine tails. That should have been our punishment, but he became our substitute to where he became our sacrifice for us. He paid for our sin. So now as a token of your love and appreciation for him being your substitute on that cross, eat of that bread. He also took the cup. cup represents the blood of the, in the New Testament for the remission of sins. And so he said, drink it. And as long as you eat of the bread, take of the cup, you, sure, you show the Lord's death until he comes. So drink of his cup. Now worship him in your own way for what he's done in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for eternal salvation, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Now, it's our job every single day to take the Word of God that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and go throughout our lives examining ourselves daily. And every time we see anything, even a very appearance of evil, we're to shun it, to flee from it, to throw it from us. And we're to try to live for Jesus Christ to the best of our ability. And in our weaknesses, he'll be made strong. Can I have an Amen. And our frailties will have a provision through Christ, the forgiveness of sin. May the Lord bless you. And before we leave here, this church must give him the highest praise. Would you do that right now? Hallelujah.